With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Are you ready? To First Amendment Friday on the Lars Larson Show. Happy Friday! Friday is for everybody. Today, Lars puts you in the driver's seat. You talk about what you want to talk about. Government is the problem. No topic is off limits. In the line dog face pony shows. Call eight six six Hey Lars. That's eight six six Hey Lars. Thank goodness it's Friday. Happy Friday. This is First Amendment Friday with Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I got to tell you something. I want to start with this on a First Amendment Friday. The shooting incident in Kansas City at the Chiefs Super Bowl celebration that left nine children wounded. The total number of wounded was 22. And of course, one person has died as well. But it might well have been stopped by law enforcement. But Joe Biden decided to do away with the plan that was actually working to take guns off the street and put criminals behind bars. Now, I know that I'm going to have some skeptics out there saying, Lars, you can't pin Kansas City on Joe Biden. Well, let me make a try at it. And uh, if you don't agree, we'll be glad to take the naysayer call. But let me tell you what happened. Joe Biden did away with the plan that was actually taking dangerous, violent criminals off the street. It was taking guns off the street. And Joe Biden, in one of his first acts in office back in 2021, decided to do away with that. It also has offered up to anti-Second Amendment voices some fodder to push their anti-gun agenda. Now, that shouldn't be the case. There is an easier solution that actually worked. But as I mentioned, Joe Biden killed that solution. Let me tell you the story. Less than four years ago. And if you don't believe me, go back and check the history. Less than four years ago, the shooting death of a four-year-old boy in where? Kansas City moved President Trump to launch a very, very successful anti-violence effort. Now, you hear people these days talking about gun violence. There is no such thing as gun violence. Guns are inanimate objects until somebody's finger pulls the trigger. What we need is anti-violence, but of course, the Democrats don't like anti-violence because anti-violence means you have to arrest human beings. You can't arrest a gun. You can't indict a gun. You can't put a gun in a prison or a jail. You can do that with the violent people who go out and do most of the violence in America. Only the liberals don't like those programs. And let me tell you one very simple reason why. Programs that actually go after violent crime, whether you like the numbers or not, 
arrest a stunning number of people of color, especially black Americans, especially black men. Now, why is that the case? I mean, just a number you should consider right off the bat is that about 50% of the homicides every single year in America are committed by black men who make up 6.5% of the population. Now, am I condemning all black people? No, I'm not, tell I'm not tell telling you that. I'm just telling you that's how the numbers come down. And if you say, well, that's as a result of racial bias. No, I don't think so. And I'll tell you why. Murder is one of the few crimes in America where almost, not quite, but almost every single murder comes to the attention of law enforcement. And why is that? Because when you find a dead body somewhere and it turns out that that person is a victim of murder, that gets reported. Now, I will admit there may be a few very rare cases where somebody ends up getting murdered their body disappears, they don't have anybody to complain about their absence and say, hey, I wonder where Lars went to. And so the murder is never prosecuted. But in almost all cases, murders are reported to the police, they are investigated, and it used to be that we had a stunning number of murder cases that were solved with an indictment and a conviction and somebody going to jail. Now, when you've got numbers like that, you tell me that that's a result of racial bias. But let me get back to what happened in Kansas City four years ago and why it relates to what happened in Kansas City at the Chiefs celebration this week. Donald Trump looked at what had happened when a little boy, four years old, named Legend Tayafero. Legend Tayafero was four years old. He was the victim of a crime. He was shot and he was killed. So President Trump said, we're going to put an end to this. Well, we're going to at least make a dent in it. So he launched what was called Operation Legend in the summer of 2020, his last full year in office. It hit not just Kansas City, but half a dozen American cities. And if you don't believe me, look up Operation Legend. It's easy to find lots and lots of stories about it. And let me tell you what happened. This is, has to rank as one of the most successful law enforcement efforts in all of American history. In six months, police made 2,000 arrests. It was actually slightly above that. And almost 500 murder charges. 487 people charged with murder. So they went after the people who did the crimes. They also went after the guns. Federal agencies, and it was federal agencies behind Operation Legend, in six months took 2,600 firearms off the streets. Now, when you take the gun out of the hands of somebody who's using it in an illegal way, and in many cases is already a convicted criminal, you just stopped who knows how many possible felony crimes that would have happened otherwise. 2,600 firearms taken off the streets out of the hands of criminals. They also seized, get this, 65,000 pounds of heroin. An awful lot of murders and other violent crime happen because they're driven by drug gangs that are battling each other for control of drug territory. They also seized about 40 pounds of fentanyl. They seized more than 600 pounds of methamphetamine. They seized 250 pounds of cocaine. And they seized $11 million in drug money. Money and drugs and criminal violence, they all go together. So criminals went to jail, and guess what? Violence dropped sharply, not just in Kansas City, but six other major American cities, including, notoriously, Chicago, which is, well, 
on an average weekend, you see dozens of people who are shot and a striking number of people who are murdered every single weekend in Chicago. Those rates dropped right after Operation Legend. And it makes common sense that they would have. So Joe Biden arrives at the White House in January of 2021 as this program, Operation Legend, was just finishing up six months of operations. And what did Joe Biden do? What he did with every single common sense idea that Donald Trump had put in place. He canceled it. He did it very quietly. He didn't want to see, have anybody see what he was doing. He got rid of Operation Legend, even with all that success. Now, violence in all those cities went back up again. Again, not surprising. And the two suspects in custody in Kansas City today are children. It is already illegal to sell guns to children. So brand new laws wouldn't have changed Kansas City, not one little bit. Operation Legend might have changed Kansas City. It did change Kansas City four years ago. But I'll remind you, Joe Biden killed the program. Joe Biden never gave any reason for killing Operation Legend. But liberals, well, they complain, ah, this law enforcement stuff, it puts too many people of color in prison. You think it's worth pointing out that the majority of the victims of those violent crimes are also people of color in America. So you have to ask yourself, are you more concerned about locking up black and brown Americans who have committed criminals, along with all the white people who commit criminal crimes as well? Or are you more concerned about saving the lives of their largely black and brown victims? Ask yourself that. Give yourself an honest answer. And you tell me, if Joe Biden had not killed Operation Legend, would some of those people not have been shot? on that street in Kansas City this week. Back in a moment, it's First Amendment Friday. Your calls are welcome at 866-439-5277. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Constantine Kissin on Hamas. For years now, many of us have been warning that the barbarians are at the gates. We were wrong. They're inside. There are positives as well. I mean, say what you want about Hamas supporters. At least they know what a woman is. This is the Lars Larson Show. That makes a lot of sense. A lot of nonsense. Right. You're bloody well right. You know you got a right to say. 
This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold, hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead fish wrapper or mainstream media bias. Northwest school districts play a game with the taxpayers, teachers, students, and citizens in a way that's just plain disgusting in my book. Teachers unions, of course, have their role to play in this, too. Take the strike against students in Portland Public Schools last fall. The teachers cost the students three weeks of school, and they got $175 million more in their contract. Of course, it means that the school district is going to be short $130 million, or two-thirds of that amount, over the length of the contract. You get the game? The districts promise the unions money they don't have. And then they have pretty much two choices. Cut teachers and other resources for the kids and whine about how awful it is that they're short of money, even though they created the shortage. Or demand that citizens make up the difference in higher taxes. Or a combination of the above. Either way, the kids lose and the teachers union wins. Either way. And remember, these teachers scored a whopping big raise when the majority of their students do not make even adequate marks in math, science, and reading. But that may not really matter in a state where the unions and their friends in the legislature and the governor's office have decided that your child does not have to be able to read or write or count to get a high school diploma. So the district participates in extortion by the unions to get more money, and your kids are the hostages. At some point, citizens will either demand school board members who will bargain within the district's current revenue, or they'll just keep playing the same old game. Their kids will suffer. They'll pay more in taxes. And guess what? The unions will laugh all the way to the bank. Our question of the day, but I want to do that in a moment. First, in the last couple of minutes, we got word about a major decision in the trial of Donald Trump. Now, you know that this trial was a kangaroo court from the very beginning. A judge who said, I don't have to listen to what he has to say. I'm not interested in what he has to say. Can you imagine having a trial in front of that judge or with a prosecutor who had won election to the office, her office, Letitia James, by promising, I will get Trump. One way or the other, I will get Trump. Well, guess what the judge just announced? And it's kind of odd that it comes late on a Friday afternoon on the East Coast. It's already 3.30 on the East Coast. But the judge has decided Donald Trump must pay $354.9 million in penalties for what they say was fraudulently overstating his net worth to deceive lenders. Now, what's interesting about this, there are no victims in the case. The banks all said, not only did we loan him money, not only do we not mind that he may have overstated the value of his assets, his collateral, but the bank said, we'd like to loan him some more money. He's a great risk. They have also ordered that Donald Trump cannot conduct business in uh, New York for the next three years. He is forbidden to take out loans there as well. Uh, he had also said, Engeron uh, uh, is the name of the judge, had canceled his ruling prior from September, ordering the dissolution of Trump's companies that control his real estate empire, saying that's no, no, no longer necessary because he is appointing an independent monitor and a compliance director to oversee Donald Trump's businesses. So that's what happens when you are one of the opponents of the deep state. Now, about our question of the day, John wrote in, Lars, what do you think of Winsome Sears as a potential 2024 VP for DJT? Winsome Sears is the lieutenant governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia. I think she'd be a great choice. She's got a great background. Uh, she's done very well, and she's not afraid to say what's on her mind. 
John also says, can you at least give Nikki Ailey credit for the way she handled the topic of abortion during the first GOP debate last summer? Okay, seems like no recent Republican candidate or for president or Congress has come close to matching the way that she articulated the subject. Happy President's Day weekend, signed John. And from Twitter, uh, Brandy Cruz who's a great reporter, she posted this up, and I'd love to talk to Semi Bird about this. He's been on the program a number of times. He is invited back to explain this. But she's not a Semi Bird, uh, you know, opponent. She's just a conservative. And she said, first, Semi Bird, who's running for governor of Washington, uh, said it was a misunderstanding when he lied about being court-martialed. Now he says his arrest for felony theft of a firearm was also a misunderstanding. Those incidents combined with the 911 calls of him berating dispatchers and bragging about his wealth are completely out of step with the public image he portrays, one that initially had me fooled as well. His supporters would not tolerate or downplay the same stories if he were a Democrat. Time to move on and get serious about beating Bob Ferguson in the governor's race before our state reaches San Francisco levels of no return. And now today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you completely insane? Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really stupid. Find out right now. I want to give today's Daily Grill to a program, a law in the state of Washington called the Keeping Families Together Act. Now, of course, almost every law has a warm and fuzzy name. And you say, Lars, what could be wrong with keeping families together? The problem is the law went into effect in July. It allows drug addicted and homeless people to maintain custody of their children because, according to the Democrats who pushed the Keeping Families Together Act, Circumstances like substance abuse or inadequate housing do not constitute an imminent physical danger to a child. Well, let me give an example, and we've talked about this one before uh, on the show. They gave temporary custody of a baby back to a man named Sorensen, who had a long criminal history dating all the way back to when he was a kid, including 28 warrants for failure to appear or comply, four felony convictions as an adult, and two felony convictions as a minor, eight gross misdemeanor convictions, and two pending misdemeanors. He passed initial drug tests to care for his baby, but then he stopped complying with drug testing, and now the baby is sadly dead. Now, consider that. That's keeping families together. Keep them with their drug-addicted and abusive parents? I don't think so. Today's best email, but you can always send more to talk at LarsLarson.com, comes from Tammy Newbowls. Lars, on my way to work this morning about 7 a.m., I passed a caravan of four unmarked white charter buses on Highway 97 trying to sneak out of Central Oregon. Could they be a sports team? Yes. Could they be a school field trip? Yeah, highly unlikely as the schools are on delay. We can only surmise what they were there for, but I know what I'm leaning toward. I'm getting more and more tired of Oregon with all the stupid taxes and laws that we're looking at other options outside. What she's referring to is who was on that bus? Probably some illegal aliens that Joe Biden allowed in. I know that's what she's guessing. Is there any way to prove it? Probably not. Let's go to Stephen. Hey, Stephen, welcome to First Amendment Friday. What's on your mind? Yeah, hi. Um, yesterday on the Fannie Willis testimony, yeah. she said that she used uh, campaign funds, you know, from um, you know, took cash out of that. Isn't that illegal? It is, except you had to listen to exactly what she said, because I don't want to accuse her of something she may not be guilty of. She says she loaned her campaign money. 
and she says she took some of the money that what that she loaned to her campaign that the campaign did not use if that's the case or if she can document that that this was her own money some of which she loaned to the campaign then it still belonged to her if on the other hand she gave the money to her campaign in the form of a loan usually with a high interest rate then she could be in big trouble for doing that as well but i think that's the least of her troubles stephen thanks it's first amendment friday and you've got the lars larson the show. lars larson show Do you? All of it began the first time some of you who know better and are old enough to know better let young people think that they had the right to choose the laws they would obey as long as they were doing it in the name of social protest. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your calls. i got to tell you something. Uh, my, my warnings that we are headed towards some really dire times because of government policy on carbon. Uh, they're going to become more dire because I think our circumstances are more dire. I mean, we've seen massive increases in the cost of electricity here in the Pacific Northwest just in the last short time. Since 2006, most of the electric rates have essentially doubled. And then we see to just today, PPNL is demanding a big increase. I think it's 17%. I believe PGE got an increase of 17% uh, or so. And you see gasoline costs up 50 cents a gallon or more uh, because of the carbon tax in Washington state. And right now there's an initiative before the legislature uh, that should reverse that carbon tax. Uh, but that's only if the legislature acts on it or failing that the voters decide to impose it instead. So Todd, jo Todd Myers joins me now, environmental director of the Washington Policy Center. Hey, Todd, welcome back. Yeah, it's always nice to chat with you. I guess I'm wondering what your take is on why the legislature doesn't say, well, you know, there are 400,000 citizen names on this initiative to the legislature. Why don't we act on this and we'll we'll make some sensible corrections and try to sort of shave the edges off this thing? It sounds like they're not going to do much with it at all. Or, are, or am I wrong about that? No, in fact, so the way the system works is that there are six initiatives and what they are is initiatives to the legislature. And the legislature can act on them. They can either pass them, uh, reject them on to the voters, or provide an alternative. And, in fact, the state uh, law requires that the legislature look at them, make them a priority, and hold a hearing on them. The majority has decided that they're not going to hear two of them. They're not going to hear the repeal of a capital gains income tax, and they're not going to hear the repeal of the tax on CO2 emissions. They just don't want to hear it. And the, their argument is, well, there's just too much money. We, could, we can't afford to lose all of the new tax income, which makes a point that I've been making for a while, which is, is that the Climate Commitment Act, which is the tax on CO2, is more about increasing taxes than it is fighting climate change. There are other ways to reduce CO2 emissions that are much less expensive and don't increase taxes. They don't want those. They want a massive tax increase, and they essentially said as much. Well, I, I guess what I'm wondering is, I'd love to get, I mean, the people who will talk to me, Todd, as you know, are, are conservatives. We very rarely get a liberal on, but I'd love to ask them, if you think you can't get by uh, without this brand new source of income, mm -hmm. so it's not as though they've had it for decades, and they say, well, we're really dependent on this, but if you think you can't get by with it, how do you think the people who are having to pay it are getting by without it? And it was their money to begin with. So I, I don't like that argument. 
that they're just going to ignore state law and say, no, we're not, not, we're not even going to hold a hearing on this and make a pretense of looking at it. That's correct. On, on two of them, that's what they have decided. Now, they have just announced that they're going to have a hearing on the other four, which indicates that if they want to, they can. They have the time. They can address them. They just don't want to have that discussion. And to your point, the, the irony is, is that the money that um, has already been taxed, the, the about $2 billion, um, hasn't even been spent. It hasn't even gone into projects. And so, um, there's all these sort of scary stories about, oh, my God, here, look at all the things we're going to lose. Looks well, like you haven't even spent the money. But, of course, the money has come out of the pockets of people across Washington State, in some cases, in violation of the very law. Farmers aren't supposed to pay the tax, but the Department of Ecology simply refused to implement that part of the law. And so um, farmers and others, you know, who uh, in agricultural products are paying a tax. So it's it's. It's a very frustrating situation where the the costs are very high, higher than they expected, um, and they simply refuse to even listen to the people who are being being hit by the law, even if it is contrary to what they claimed the law would do. I'm talking to Todd Myers, who's environmental director at Washington Policy. The other thing about this, when you mentioned that the you know Department of Ecology has said that uh, we we're not going to comply with the law and not charge the tax to the farmers the way the law says they they were not to be taxed. And their argument is, well, it's it's too much bother to try to figure out who's paying it and who's not paying it. They're really going to hang their hat on the idea that, well, you know, we're not supposed to tax this bunch of people. It's too tough to sort them out, so we'll just tax them anyway. Are they going to be able to support that when they get the inevitable lawsuit? It's hard to say. And, of course, you know, it's hard to you, to do a lawsuit. You have to get farmers and others to raise the money um, for the lawsuit, and it's not cheap. Of course, the state has essentially unlimited amount of money to defend itself um, through taxpayer funding, so it's very difficult. And, and to this point, the Farm Bureau and others have tried to work with the Department of Ecology, but they have simply refused. But the ultimate irony is, is that the Department of Ecology and others who, who manage these programs will say uh, repeatedly that they are the experts that they can manage this extremely complicated system of CO2 taxes and managing the economy and that they know what the impact will be. But when it comes to something as simple as find a way to exempt people who are in the law supposed to be exempted, they say, oh, that's too difficult. We don't know how to do that. <laughs> and so you get this sort of bizarre situation where they claim that they can manage the economy but can't do the basic job that they're required to do. And the people who claim they can manage the economy are the ones who made the $150 million mistake on the new capital gains tax, where they put $150 million into their budget and put it, you know, basically said, this is money we plan to spend. And then their accountant said, oh, we goofed. Uh, we, we, yeah. we assumed $150 million more than we're actually going to get. You're going to have to go back and cut $150 million to make up for this. These are the people who say we can manage all this stuff? Well, that's exactly right. And and the thing is, is that none of this is unexpected. All of this is, in fact, expected, right? The Department of Ecology said that the cost of the tax on CO2 would be pennies, as the governor said. And, in fact, we said, no, it's going to be, you know, 46, 43 cents a gallon, something like that. And that's exactly what it was. It wasn't difficult to predict. 
we, the Washington Policy Center, look, they said, look, you know, people like Jeff Bezos, wealthy people will simply leave the state rather than pay the capital gains income tax. And they said, no, 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 that's not going to happen. Well, guess what? Jeff Bezos moved his residence to Florida and it saved him six hundred million dollars. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, these are not unpredictable. We can predict these things. They just, it's just willful ignorance. Okay, Todd, I want to, I want to hit one last thing, and that is, I know that some people listen to the show to say, well, Lars makes all these crazy statements about crazy things are going to, they're going to ban us from using natural gas and all that. Washington and Oregon are both doing a sort of a soft, uh, where they're saying, well, by regulations, we're going to eliminate certain stoves and certain appliances. We're going to make it more expensive. If you want to build a house with natural gas, you're going to have to pay more in fees or meet other standards. Kathy Hochul in New York State, I think, is a is a harbinger of what is going to happen in the Northwest. Their latest plan, as I read this morning, Todd, is that they will not only say we're going to ban your gas stove and gas water heater. We may actually cut the natural gas connection of existing buildings. Should we expect that that's where this will go eventually? Well, in fact, there is a bill in the legislature, 1589, that would allow Puget Sound Energy to do exactly that, which says that they can turn off natural gas to their customers. Currently, the law requires them to provide service. If you have a natural gas furnace or um, in a water heater, you, they have to maintain service to that. A law that is now that has already gotten through uh, the House and is now in the Senate would allow them to do that. So yes, again, they are looking at exactly those types of actions. Wow. Now, PSE says, "Well, well, no, don't worry, we won't do that." Yeah, of but course. the law allows them to do that. Why? Unbelievable. That is Todd Myers. Todd, we'll have to talk about it again another time. It's First Amendment Friday. Your calls are welcome at eight six six. Hey Lars. That's Todd Myers from the Washington Policy Center. Send your emails to talk at lawrencelarson.com, and you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com.
Elon Musk sums up America's government. And what I see all over the place is people who care about looking good while doing evil. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Radio Northwest Network on my favorite day of the week, and that is First Amendment Friday. I'm glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS and your emails, talk at LarsLarson.com. And I'd like you to vote in our poll on X. It used to be the Twitter poll, now it's the poll on X. Um, you can find it at Lars Larson Show. I think this is a fantastic idea. Now, you know the Radio Northwest Network serves Oregon and Washington and Idaho. Well, they now have a bill that has been passed by the Idaho House of Representatives. It's on its way to the Senate. I don't know what the governor will do with it. House Bill 515 allows the death penalty in cases of lewd conduct with children under the age of 12 with aggravating circumstances. Now... You know, aggravating circumstances are kind of hard to explain. I'm not a lawyer, but I know that you can commit murder and you can commit in Oregon, for example, aggravated murder. Aggravated murder means there's some other crime. So if a, a, a criminal rapes a woman and then murders her, rape would be the aggravating circumstance. If you walk in to rob somebody, which is a crime, and you commit murder in the robbery, that can be an aggravating circumstance. So what they're talking about is another crime uh, in, in doing this lewd conduct. House Bill 515 would allow a jury the option of the death penalty for especially heinous cases like repeat offenders. And Idaho law right now only allows the death penalty in first-degree murder. And, of course, Florida passed a child rape death penalty last year. I think this is a fantastic idea. I hope the Senate in Idaho passes it, and I hope the governor gives it his signature. Let's go to Michelle first. Hey, Michelle, it's First Amendment Friday. What's on your mind? Great. I'm glad you uh, had. I'm glad to be on the radio. I give a little justification here because I'm calling in on the Keeping Families Together Act, and basically, I know the small little town, Port Townsend, where that baby died, and they, the DCYF of Port Townsend, gave that baby to that dad knowing, not doing any background check, not seeing where he lived, not to see if he was even worthy of a dad. But my son's son, my grandson, was taken from our family at um, the beginning of COVID and immediately put into a foster care. And then um, after a year, um, I went to go because it, obviously COVID wasn't ending and right. uh, got, my, got my fingerprints done to go start visiting my baby my grandson, and they totally didn't even contact me. They none, none, There's no record of me going into the office to do this, and they basically um, put the child in foster care, and now they're letting the foster care parents adopt that baby, even though I worked for Amazon, I, worked, I lived there for two years, and up to the judge, they totally asked what I was doing in that courtroom. I had no business being there. They literally, while my son was in um, a long-term rehab, they drove from Port Townsend all the way to Bellingham, which is a ferry ride and a very lots of uh, Michelle, I, 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 want, I don't want you to run out of time. Tell me this. Yeah. Um, you think that both they are not following the law or following the law too much by handing back this baby to this drug addict who then ends up, we're, you know, is accused of killing the baby, and then they're and yeah, then they're underperforming in getting kids back to legitimate circumstances. Is exactly. That, is that there's fair? no there's no constants there. There's no constant value, you know, and that's so. It, I knew once 
and and they swept it under the rug that baby dying and and they're not keeping families together that act is a is an absolute joke and and real quickly the other thing i'm going to say as a delivery driver i'm telling people that with the migrants coming i have seen them as i'm driving and they're coming out of the woods and i want every parent out there to make sure you're watching your children while they're outside and, and by the way to your point michelle in a lot of the big cities you're seeing the kind of level of violence that's coming from illegal aliens. And I'm talking specifically yeah. about the ones let in by, by Biden in the last three years. Yeah. In New York, yes, these people don't think twice. I mean, there's two cops who got right. beat down to the pavement. And you're thinking they did this in broad daylight, in public, in front of witnesses. Yep. And you think they don't yep. think twice about doing that. They're not even trying to conceal their behavior. Why? Exactly. Because they are, I mean, when we say the word lawless and you say, oh, so-and-so behaves in a lawless manner, imagine somebody to whom the law is not a constraint at all. You know, I mean, most people, if you're driving down the road and you're going a little fast, you see a police car pulled off to the side, you take your foot off the gas. You know, you just say, right. well, I'm a, these are people who have come from cultures. They have come from parts of the world where the law doesn't mean anything. And so when they come to our country, semis. what's exactly. that? They're driving well, semi-trucks for Walmart. They're driving 80 miles on the freeway. They're, they're lawless. They don't, they're not even nice when they look at you. It, it's it's going to be scary. And people don't realize how many by the way, I want to ask, Joel, do you have that sound bite real quick, the one of Joe Biden talking about how you've got to have laws and you've got to enforce them? Joel, if you've got that, um, this is Joe Biden from just 17 years ago as a U.S. senator, actually at the point right before he was picked as vice president for Obama. Here's what Joe Biden used to say about that. Part of the problem is you have to have a federal government that can enforce laws. This administration has been fundamentally derelict in not funding any of the requirements that are needed to even enforce the existing so law. Senator Biden, yes or no, uh -huh. would you allow the cities to ignore the federal law? No. No. He, he was being well, asked yeah, about sanctuary well cities, and he said, I'm not going to let the cities ignore the sanctuary, it, it become sanctuaries for illegal aliens. That was 17 years ago. Not not ancient history, and that was Joe Biden as he was about to become the vice president to Barack Obama. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com. View the videos. And then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Are you ready? Welcome 
to First Amendment Friday on the Lars Larson Show. Happy Friday. Friday is for everybody. Today, Lars puts you in the driver's seat. You talk about what you want to talk about. Government is the problem. No topic is off limits. You're a lying dog face pony soldier. Call 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-HEY-LARS. Thank goodness it's Friday. Happy Friday. This is... This is... First Amendment Friday with Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lawrence Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. I think I can make the case that the teachers' unions that represent American teachers, and they certainly have a right under federal law in the U.S. Constitution to have bargaining units and even labor unions. But I think they've made a concerted effort to try to make sure that they get, number one, the greatest amount of money they can possibly squeeze out of the system, while number two simultaneously saying, and we will do everything we can to make sure your kids do not learn. Now, that's a bold, uh, a bold kind of assessment of what's going on, but I think it's honest. And there is currently a bill that is before the Oregon legislature that would actually limit the amount that you are able to get your kids into some other kind of education that actually works since the government schools are largely failing. Now, I'm not going to ask Catherine Hickok to endorse my point of view, but she is the executive vice president of the Cascade Policy Institute, which is the free market public policy research organization and director of Cascade's Children's Scholarship Fund, Oregon. Catherine, welcome back to the program. Good afternoon, Lars. It's good to be with you. Uh, it's good to have you on the program. This is the reason I say that. We've got schools that right now in Oregon, you don't have to read, write, or count to get a diploma. Uh, the, the schools have continuing declines in what kids are learning, not just you know before the pandemic, during the pandemic, and after the pandemic. That's going on. And now there's an effort to try to say, and if you want to take your kids somewhere else, we're going to do everything we can to make sure that doesn't happen. Have I overstated that? Well, that's typically the... Uh... That's typically the point of view of uh, the status quo in the public school system. Um, House Bill 4061 would increase parents' options so that if they want to go to a, send their children to a school other than their residentially assigned public school, they would have more options to do that. And uh, HB 4161 presents three different ways they could do that. One is public school open enrollment, which would allow children to transfer to schools, public schools, that are not in their resident districts as long as there are seats open in the receiving district that would that would allow public school choice um, the bill would also increase um, access to charter schools charter school enrollment is actually limited by the state legislature um, charter schools can't just open if uh, if there are parents who want to send their kids there 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 is an enrollment limit on charter schools this bill would um, increase increase the uh, the number of seats available in charter schools and it would also create an education savings account program so that if um, if parents within the, the income limits set in this bill want to take some of the per pupil spending that would be spent on their child in a public school and go to a private option they could do that and, and those, that's three different that's three different no. ways um, that parents would be able to choose something other than their locally zoned public school Okay, and who's fighting the idea, and does it have a prayer of getting through a legislature that is dominated by a party that is dominated by, by the unions? Well, the fact that uh, it had a hearing in the short session on Wednesday um, is... Uh, That's good. Is a, ...is a good thing, yeah. Um, in the short legislative session, um, it's uncommon for, for bills to be, to be heard that um, are not the, um, the 
priority of the governor and the majority party. So um, it's really important to keep all of these topics um, in the front of people's minds. Education is extremely important to most people. It's definitely important to parents. And uh, in this post-COVID world, um, it's only going to become more and more important because parents during the pandemic, as, as we all know, got a front row seat to um, their kids' education. They saw online what was going on, and they also uh, discovered that their kids learned in different ways. It's not, uh, it's not simply a failure of... Um, of public schools, um, but kids are all different. They learn in different ways. They have different talents and needs. And a lot of parents started saying, you know what, I have three children. I realized each one of them has um, a, a different need academically, and each one would thrive in a different um, in a different educational environment. I think that's extremely positive. Um, so we really should move, I think, and we are culturally to, to an understanding that um, that kids reach their full potential in different ways, and um, finding a good education can can be a different path for each of them, well, and, and we should really uh, promote that. Catherine, is there any legitimate educational purpose served by saying we're going to artificially limit the number of kids who can go into a charter school or some other kind of schooling? Um, I don't know what the what the actual thinking is behind that, except limiting competition with the local public schools. Um, Charter schools are a newer idea, although they've now been around for more than 20 years, probably 25 or more, um, going on 30. So it's, it's an idea that has been tested. And with all new ideas, there is that testing period. And um, um, schools open, schools close. People discover what works, what doesn't. Um, it would be a quicker process to discover what does work and what doesn't if, um, if there were fewer... Um, fewer constraints on the schools to opening to begin with. That's one of the great difficulties with charter schools. Oftentimes, charter schools have to be approved by the district, and that means the district is essentially approving its own competition. And there is Yeah, but really, what's wrong with um, competition? I mean, doesn't comp I mean, every place, you're from a free market outfit, so I would expect you to agree with this. I can't think of a place where competition does not produce both excellence and low cost at the same time. Yes. Yes, and that's something that people have seen in other states as they have implemented school choice laws in their states um, and open enrollment policies and uh, education savings accounts. Um, people have discovered in those states that they see more schools opening. It's not, uh, it, it, it is often a question that if, if you have a school choice law, well, where are the children going to go? And in some states, they don't have a whole lot of private schools or they may be in rural areas. And some people are now saying, you know what, as soon as we got an environment in which there could be some competition, in which parents could take the money and it would follow, the money would follow the child to the educational environment of, of the parent's choice, they're seeing new providers open, whether they're charter schools or private schools or tutoring services or micro schools now um, so there are more there become more options available the more freedom you have i even like the pod idea that came up during the pandemic where a bunch of parents all in the same neighborhood all the kids about the same age said hey why don't we just hire a teacher uh, with and that teacher will teach our six or seven or eight kids and we'll split the cost and and i think when they saw that they thought we don't have to have necessarily a building. Maybe somebody's got a house with a family room big enough, and we'll have we'll have a school right there. And it wouldn't work for all kids of all ages, perhaps. But it it it, it met a lot of needs, and a lot of parents who said, "Well, if I can take get six or eight thousand bucks of the education money that would go to my kid to a government-run school where it's failing, 
uh, and we could take that and pair it with, you know, eight other parents or ten other parents, that's enough money to hire a single teacher who does nothing but work with all your kids. Of course, the teachers' unions see that as the death of, of their profession and their unions as well. Catherine, thanks for the work you do at the Cascade Policy Institute's Children's Scholarship Fund Oregon program. The bill is House Bill 4161. It would expand opportunities for kids to be taken from the failing government schools and put into an alternative at the choice of the student and the parents. It's First Amendment Friday. Your calls are welcome at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. In a moment, we're going to talk about Fannie Willis of Georgia and her amazing day on the witness stand yesterday. You've got the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Truth be told, Lars has welcomed naysayers for 27 years, but occasionally... Who is this person who speaks to me as though I needed his advice? This is the Lars Larson Show. And this, it, it is a lie. It is, it is a lie. Well, Mr. Stano, thank you. We're going to take five minutes. And we're going to take five minutes as a break because the judge decided to get out of the room for a while. That was some of the, if you can call it that, testimony of Fannie Willis. And who's Fannie Willis? Fannie Willis is the district attorney in Fulton County, Georgia. And she's the one who seeks to prosecute President Donald Trump. Most of the prosecution is based on things he said, saying, I want a full, total, legal count of all the votes that were cast in November of 2020. And for those First Amendment statements, he is being put on trial. And in fact, the deep state would like to throw him in prison somewhere in a deep, dark hole somewhere. But Fannie Willis has run into a real buzzsaw because she may get disqualified from this prosecution, which she was bringing for what seemed to me to be very, very political reasons and not because any crimes were uh, committed by President Donald Trump or even any of his associates. So at one point, Scott McAfee, that's the judge you heard at the end, saying we'll be back in five minutes. Now, she testified yesterday because here's the problem she's run into. You see, she had to, well, she didn't have to, she decided to give the contract to investigate Donald Trump to an attorney. Now, it happened to be the attorney that she was having sex with. 
who was married to somebody else, so, you know, that's another aspect of this. It's turned into a real reality TV show lately. And yesterday, Fannie Willis took the stand. And in all honesty, if you'd ask me the day before, I know she's highly political. I know she's very outspoken. But I would have kind of expected her to show up on the, on the stand and uh, give her testimony in a way that was actually befitting of somebody who wanted to be taken seriously as a prosecutor. She didn't do that at all. And let me tell you why she's now in trouble. She's in trouble because, well, she started sleeping with a guy. He's an attorney. He has absolutely no background whatsoever in prosecuting election law cases, which this is an election law case. She also has no background in prosecuting RICO cases, uh, and this is alleged to be a racketeering in corrupt organizations case as well. So she hires the guy apparently because he's her boyfriend and she pays him several hundred thousand dollars of the taxpayer's money. And then and then they decided to start going on some trips. Listen to the way she tries to explain away the fact that she usually keeps tens of thousands of dollars just sitting around her house and that she paid back her boyfriend with some of that cash because after all, cash does not leave a paper trail. Listen to her talking about her campaign cash. Cash is uh, fungible. We had cash for years in my house. So for me to tell you the source of when it comes from, when you go to Publix and you buy something, you get $50, you throw it in there. When It's been my whole life. When I took out a large amount of money on my first campaign, I kept some of the cash of that. Now, that's raised some new questions about this. She says, when I took some of the money out for my first campaign for office, she had to run for district attorney. She says, I kept some of that. Now, I think there are two possibilities, and it's going to require more investigation. There are many times where people who are going to run for office decide to run, but they don't have an immediate money to get their campaign started. They're going to go out and raise money, but they don't have any at the front end. So they make a personal loan from their own money to their campaign. Now, that's a secondary scam that's run by a lot of politicians, where a politician will loan his own campaign $100,000 to be paid back later. And then they'll put usually a fairly large interest rate, something way out of bounds, like 10 or 20 percent, because then when the money is paid back, they actually make money on their political campaign. I don't think that's legitimate. If she loaned money to her own campaign, and it was still campaign money, and she spent it on personal expenses, that's illegal. If she loaned money to her campaign where she took out a loan, uh, ostensibly for the purpose of funding her campaign, that's not her money either, not anymore. It belongs to the campaign. And whether you knew this or not, when you're running a political campaign, you can't pay your own personal expenses with that money. And then they called on her dad to testify as well. Now, the dad has been living with her for some long time. He is a former Black Panther, uh, and uh, which I think plays into it uh, if you consider the fact that he was involved in uh, in, in a, an organization that engaged in a lot of illegal activities back in the day. He took the stand to try to explain uh, his daughter's uh, weird behavior, both handing money that was supposed to be spent from the taxpayers to pay for a prosecution to a guy who had no background in prosecution at all, didn't know what he was doing. And by the way, Fannie Willis, the DA of Fulton County, had people on her staff who were already on the public payroll who did have a background 
in election law issues, did have a background in RICO cases. She didn't use them. She saw it as a way to get $600,000 or so to her new boyfriend. And her dad tried to explain about the cash issue. When your daughter moved or left the house that she owned, did, did she say anything to you about having a large uh, savings of cash? Oh, no, she, oh, no. See, maybe, excuse me, and I, Your Honor, I'm not trying to be racist, okay? But it's a black thing, okay? I don't exactly know what that means, but that's what he had to say. And then you had Fannie Willis, who decided to put on quite a show. I mean, screaming, yelling, storming out of the courtroom at the end of it. She was planning to testify yesterday and today, and then we got word today she won't be testifying after all. It sounds as though Fannie Willis does not think she's being treated very equitably. Listen to this. It's interesting that we're here about this money. Mr. Wade is used to women that, uh, as he told me one time, the only thing a woman can do for him is make him a sandwich. We would have brutal arguments about the fact that I am your equal. I don't need anything from a man. A man is not a plan. A man is a companion. And so there was tension always in our relationship, which is why I would give him his money back. I don't need anybody to foot my bill. The only man who's ever foot my bills completely is my daddy. Is my daddy. And it gets bizarre because this is the woman who is allegedly running a legitimate uh, prosecution of President Donald Trump and a prosecution for engaging in making statements to public officials about his concerns about what he saw and what I see as the fraud in the Georgia election. So you're being prosecuted for free speech, and the woman who's prosecuting you decides to take taxpayer money and give it to her boyfriend who doesn't have background in what she's hiring him to do when she has own, her own people on her staff, and then they start taking trips to Aruba, uh, to a number of different vacation spots, uh, to Belize and other places. Why? Why? Because they had a big pile of public money. And she's trying to explain that now. And, of course, her now former boyfriend, Nathan Wade, the attorney, who made a few trips to the White House, apparently had some sit-down meetings with some of Joe Biden's staff, which might tell you that this is more political than you ever thought it would be, that this guy is trying to explain how, yeah, I put all those vacation trips with my girlfriend, the woman he was cheating on his wife with, I put them on my business account, and then she paid me back in cash. It sounds like this couple, or former couple, is going to have all kinds of explanations they're going to have to offer up to the IRS and likely some other agencies as well. It's First Amendment Friday. Your calls are welcome at 866-439-5277. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Sometimes the listeners say it best. Hey, Lars, love your show, and I really appreciate what you do, boy. You cover more territory in an afternoon than a lonely dad during springtime. Who's next? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails at 866-HEY-LARS. It is a First Amendment Friday, after all. Glad to welcome back to the show, too, our friend Grover Norquist, who's president of Americans for Tax Reform. Grover, how are you? Hey, doing very well, Lars. 
Well, I want to ask you about a number of different things, but I kind of want to start with uh, with Donald Trump and the result in the courtroom in New York. It's a little bit outside your lane, but I thought you might have something to say about the fact that a judge decided he wouldn't dissolve Donald Trump's business enterprise in New York City, but he would hit him with a one-third of a billion-dollar fine and tell him you can't borrow money, you can't do business here anymore, and I wanted to get your take on all that. When we worry about government being dictatorial. This is a huge step in that direction. Uh, nobody complained about Trump's uh, business practices. It was the government that sued him. There weren't people out going, he didn't pay his bills or whatever. Um, and if somebody thought you weren't paying your bills, you can take it to court. Okay, <laughs> So there's, there's a fix for that. Um, even if they thought that that was the problem. What happened here is we now know that a local judge and a local prosecutor and a congressional district or town or village, just as we know that there are uh, tort uh, hells where if you're a Fortune 500 company and they pull a jury from this small town in Alabama, that they will cheerfully give a billion of your dollars to some guy who's car wasn't repainted correctly, which is one case that people may remember, or if you spill coffee on yourself, no one, nobody told you the coffee is hot. Um, and you can destroy an entire business with a lawsuit, okay? And we've gone to try and make that less of a problem. We now know you can destroy any businessman. How many thousands of businessmen and women will now decide not to run for office, not to show up in a picture helping a Republican candidate, not to write a check. That's public information if it's more than $200. This is a shot across the bow against businessmen and women participating in politics, in American and, democracy. And that it can be highly political because you could say, oh, we never use that. We never prosecute cases like that unless you're, you're on the other side of the political aisle, in which case you can say, well, who else is being prosecuted for this? Nobody. You're being prosecuted because you're Donald Trump. You're being prosecuted because we kind of expect you to win the election in November, and Joe Biden's people don't want that. When that kind of thing happens, even, you know, especially at the presidential level, but even in a local town or city where you say, we don't want Republicans on the county commission or the city council or any other public body, so we'll go after their businesses. And anybody, as you pointed out, anybody who's tempted to get involved politically will shy away from that and say, I don't need that kind of trouble. Uh, I won't seek those positions. That it has the potential to dramatically change the political landscape in America. You're either in the ruling party or if you're not. If you're, if you're not and you might run for an office and they don't want you there, uh, they'll go after you for politics. Not because, as you pointed out, all the banks who testified said not only were we not angry at Donald Trump, uh, maybe he exaggerated the value of his assets, maybe he didn't, but we would gladly loan him more money today, I think was the testimony. Yes, and for crying out loud, uh, the zoning, not just the prosecutors, and it's interesting to see that uh, some of the rich liberals have been out, Soros and so on, have been out funding prosecutors' campaigns, uh, to get very political prosecutors, one, so not to put criminals in prison, and two, to harass Republican businessmen, uh, two-edged sword there. Uh, and this is the, the zoning committee, the zoning board, 
could destroy any business on Main Street. It doesn't have to be the mayor. It doesn't have to be the special prosecutor. The water people, the guys who tell you whether you can hook up for water. No, we don't think your, your hookup is the right thing. And, uh, so no water for you. Uh, well, not none, but you, no, you know, we'll come back in a few months and maybe you can open your bar if you haven't gone broke already. The ability of small towns, cities, large cities, blue states, to completely destroy their opposition so they can't ever run. We thought when, you know, Colorado said, we're going to decide who can run for president, that was as bad as it gets. They want to be able to have a veto on anyone. The other thing I wanted to ask you about in particular before we get to the IRS agents is this. The standard rallying cry of liberals today is, well, these Trump tax cuts, they delivered big time for the rich, and they, they didn't give anything to anybody else. And then I saw these new numbers... And this is straight out of the IRS. This is after the tax shelters, after the gimmicks, after you've used every excuse in the book, you know, every every legal way to avoid paying taxes. Um, they say before the Trump tax cuts, the top 1% in America paid 40% of the bill. And now after and with the tax cuts today, they pay 45% of the tax bill. That That just completely refutes that entire point, doesn't it? Yes, and the Democrats were lying when they said it, because the same thing happened when Reagan took the top rate from 70% down to 27%. We were raising more money from people at the top income bracket than before. Why? Because when you make it easier for people to operate, they make more money and taxes go up, for crying out loud. Um, this, we now, you know, the left says all the time, that's just not true. And they just lie. And then these numbers come out and then they hope to avoid it. And they'll come back. And the next time there is a tax cut on anyone, they will announce it's just for the rich. The good news is that most people get the idea that the Democrats don't want to cut anyone's taxes. And by the way, about this issue of IRS agents. So you've got plans to put, uh, I guess now, 67,000 new agents on. And now the IRS says uh, most of them are going to be working from home, even though there's a real risk of taxpayer data being stolen, as it just was. The guy who took 7,000 uh, people's tax information, including famously Donald Trump, and, and gave the information away and is going to get a slap on the wrist for his crimes. Uh, yes, they are making, they have sent a message out. If you steal tax information from on someone that we the establishment democrats don't like and hand it to anybody to blackmail them or just to embarrass them um uh, the you know what we'll do we'll do nothing we won't punish you the guy who was convicted he there were seven thousand nine hundred individuals and structures that he released their tax data their personal information everything that you look at when you fill out your tax returns goes up and is shared with your neighbors, your friends, your enemies, people who don't like you. Um, and <laughs> this stuff went out, 7,900. He was only charged with one count. Now, every one of those 7,900 violations of law, and we're from the head of the IRS said tens of thousands, so there may be more people than we know. Tens of thousands is what he admitted to. Uh, he was charged with one, sentenced to five years. It should have been five years times 7,900, but they wanted to send a signal it's okay to do this to them. Unbelievable. 
and we're going to get more of it because they plan to hire more of these agents. Grover Norquist is president of Americans for Tax Reform. Grover, it's a pleasure to have you on on a First Amendment Friday. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. You can send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. If you want to vote in our X poll, it used to be called the Twitter poll, now it's the X poll. Should pedophiles get the death penalty? Well, Idaho's House has said yes to that. Let's hope the Senate and the governor say yes as well. Would you like to see the most heinous sex abusers whose victims are children under the age of 12 go to death row? I certainly would. Back in a moment, you're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. If Sleepy Joe was on Jeopardy! This man, also known as the worst president in United States history, loves ice cream, lounging on beaches and sniffing children. Joe, uh, who is me? Wait, where am I? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you on a First Amendment Friday. Always glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. This segment of the show is brought to you by the home power generating folks at ProTech Power. Make sure your loved ones are safe. When the power goes out, call 541-ONA-GEN. That's 541-ONA-GEN. And our poll on X today, the state of Idaho, its House of Representatives has now passed House Bill 515. It would allow the death penalty in aggravated cases of uh, sexual crimes against children under the age of 12. It has passed the House. We now will see it go to the Senate and then presumably to the governor's desk. I would love to see that law on the books. To your calls at 866-439-5277. Dan, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Thank you. I'm a, I'm a wounded vet. I was wounded in 1968. I was infantryman with the 1st Air Cav Division. Thanks for your service. When I got out of the service, I was treated really bad. And uh, it wasn't until about the mid-'90s uh, that I finally got uh, help with my whole problem. Uh, I had various problems. But what I want to do is not dwell on the back. I went to the VA. On February 13th, I had a, a hole in my colon. The VA in Portland treated me with so much respect. The people there got 
fix my problem of the people on the ninth floor, Bridget, you can't expect anybody to take better care of this veteran. And I'm very proud now of being able to use that system. I'm glad to hear that, Dan, because I generally hear, uh, you know, complaints and legitimate ones from vets about bad service from the VA, and, and maybe things have changed for the better. I'm, I'm glad to hear if that was the case in your case. And, and by the way, thank you for your service. You're welcome. Take care now. That is uh, Dan, a, an American veteran who got good treatment from the VA. Good for him. Let's go to Ken. Hey, Ken, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind today? Well, Lars, I'm wondering if, if uh, you think that when installing these wind turbines off the coast of Oregon, they will uh, utilize the lowest bidder <laughs> like they did uh, with the, uh, well, it was a government contract. And uh, they did that with the uh, the wave energy buoy, uh, that massive failure. I think it still sits in a shipyard somewhere in Portland. I think you're right. But, uh, <laughs> uh, again, uh, you, uh, I listen to you all the time, but a couple of days ago you mentioned that uh, there were a couple of carve-outs on the coast where they might install these things. I'm wondering if they'll use the the acreage that the OWET, it's OWET is Oregon Wave Energy Trust, uh, they carved out for for these buoys. Was this off the coast of? Was this la this was area of ocean, right? Not area of land, correct? Area of ocean, correct. Okay, because they've carved out. Apparently, uh, the opponents of this have got the carve out down eighty five percent, and it's still almost just just short of two hundred thousand acres of ocean. And you you well, think, hold on, what's that going to do to fishing? What's it going to do to any other kind of commercial activity on the ocean? And the answer is, it's going to devastate. My honest answer is, I don't think they're going to build these things. But what I think will happen, and this is where the game comes in. You say, well, if they're not going to build them, no big deal, right? Do you remember the interstate bridge fiasco in which they spent $200 million and ended up with a pile of paperwork and didn't get a damn thing done? Yes, I do. Okay, but people made money off that. There was two hundred, almost two hundred million, I think, one hundred ninety million spent, and they didn't accomplish anything. They didn't build a bridge. They didn't repair the old one. <laughs> this thing is so. A lot of so engineers and a lot of project managers made money. Yeah, but uh, environmental firms and uh, doing, you know, tr uh, uh, what environmental studies and all this stuff. And literally, I think it was a ten foot tall stack of paper they got the, for the two hundred million. So in this case, what I was pointing out is. Oregon and its governor are all excited that the Federal uh, Bureau of Ocean Energy Management, they call it BOEM, uh, has allocated, said, we're going we're gonna to sell leases for this ocean area for these windmills. The problem is, on the East Coast, they have four gigantic wind farms proposed that were big companies that have lots of background in this. BP is one of them, Orsted, which is a Danish company, um, that they... They've got all kinds of expertise. All four of those big companies have walked away from multi-billion dollar losses on, on those projects. And you say, why would a big energy company walk away? Because they've realized the thing is a disaster financially. And they said um, that originally the utility companies on land had said, if you make this energy, uh, this wind energy, we want to buy all this you know, clean, green wind energy. We will pay you up to $120 a megawatt. And you say, well, okay, is that a good deal? I mean, I'm not in the energy business. 
a natural gas-fired electric plant is $37 a megawatt. These utility companies were offering to pay three times that much money to buy the wind energy, and the big energy, the big windmill company said, uh, we can't do it at that price. It's going to, it may have to be as high as $190 a megawatt, or about 5.1 times as much money. And what I've suggested to people is when they say, oh, I hear they're, they're getting all this clean, clean, green energy, and we're going to be able to use it. Get ready. If you think the utility rate increases of the last few years have been bad, wait till they start buying wind energy, if they build it, that is going to cost three and four and five times as much to buy the energy instead of affordable power made by natural gas and coal. Just wait for it. It's coming right at us. The Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. You ready? To First Amendment Friday on the Lars Larson Show. Happy Friday. Friday is for everybody. Today, Lars puts you in the driver's seat. You talk about what you want to talk about. Government is the problem. No topic is off limits. You're a lying dog faced pony soldier. Call 866 Hey Lars. That's 866 Hey Lars. Thank goodness it's Friday. Happy Friday. This is First Amendment Friday with Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a First Amendment Friday, and I'm glad to get your calls always. And naysayers, as usual, go right to the head of the line. You can interact with us in a number of ways. Number one, call the show at 866-HEY-LARS. If you're a naysayer, 866-439-5277. If you'd like to send an email, it's talk at LarsLarson.com. Our poll on X found at Lars Larson Show. Should pedophiles get the death penalty? Idaho's House of Representatives has approved that. Well, we have yet to see what the House, the Senate is going to do with it, nor what uh, the governor of Idaho would do. But I'd love to see this happen. Florida's already got a, a, a law on child rape that makes uh, the death penalty one of the options for a jury in the case of uh, a, the rape of a child. Now, I, I don't know whether Washington State Senator John Braun would suggest uh, how Olympia would look at such a bill, but we do want to talk about some of the bills that are before the legislators in Olympia right now. Senator Braun, welcome back. Well, thanks for having me on, Lars. You think you could even get a bill like this bill from Idaho that has the death penalty for uh, aggravated sexual assault of a child? Do you think you could get that even out of committee in Olympia? 
No, not with the, the Democratic majorities we have, not a chance. Look, we have a bill that we did pass out of the Senate that, may, that changes the child endangerment law to include exposure to fentanyl because we've had you know, almost a doubling of ch ch deaths from exposure to fentanyl in, in children, sometimes young children. And when it got to the House, the chair of that uh, the committee it went to said, we don't have a single vote for that bill because we don't want to add any new any new criminal statutes. Or, this isn't even new. This is just changing a bill that was created 20 years ago, actually by a Democrat at the time, uh, to, to address the endangerment of children, And but they, they refuse even to add fentanyl to that. So if they won't do that, I don't think there's any chance that they'll consider the bill you, you suggested. Well, that that's even, uh, and that's certainly outrageous, because Senator... Uh, it's not like we're talking about something that can't happen or doesn't happen. Some kid is in a house with parents uh, who, you know, are not very responsible and take hard drugs, and the kid's crawling along the floor and finds a piece of tinfoil that's still got some fentanyl residue on it, puts it in his mouth. The kid overdoses. You save the kid's life, and, and, and they don't want to make that against the law? I mean, your Democrat colleagues do not sound like they're connected to planet Earth. They are not. This this is amazing. I mean, just in Clark County, I think the incre increase has gone from 20 uh, deaths uh, like this to over 40. Uh, I mean, this isn't this isn't an imaginary idea. This is a real thing that's happening in our communities, and the idea that we don't want that we don't even want to recognize it. Uh, the Democratic majority don't even want to recognize the problem is is is. Uh, maddening i'll put it that way it really is let me ask you about house bill 2114 this is the one that promises stability for people in rental housing does it actually do that well if if by stability you mean there won't be any more rental housing <laughs> then i think maybe that's the case but but no this i mean they want to they want to control the increase of rent you know the it doesn't take uh you know two minutes to to google and find you know, study after study, economic studies say rent control does not make this better. It makes it worse uh, because folks won't invest. They won't build additional uh, rental uh, house, you know, dwellings. Uh, the ones that exist will re get reconverted. Uh, so this does nothing but make the scarcity of rental housing worse and therefore uh, the price, you know, ultimately higher. It's it's a it's a poorly thought out idea that makes our housing crisis worse, not better. No, and in fact, I've told people I I lived I've lived in rental housing in my you know in in both Oregon and in Washington in years gone by, and the fact is I didn't want to see the rent go up either. But I also understand that if you don't allow the folks who own rental housing, whether it's a mom and pop, which is most of them, or whether it's a corporation, and you say they can't pass along their costs to their tenants, I know what's going to happen to the status of that or the, uh, you know, the appearance and the maintenance on that property. And I also know that when you drive enough people out of the business, you're going to find people crying for some place to live. And you're going to say, sorry, you know, your Democrat friends passed laws and, and made this a, a bad place to be a, a landlord. That's right, and and we we badly need more housing in Washington State. And the studies say we're somewhere around three hundred thousand homes behind right now. We'll be a million or a million five uh, behind uh, that we need to build in the next fifteen years. 
to do that, you can't do that with government money. You just can't. There's just not enough money, uh, even if we wanted to. You need private sector investment. There is money out there that would invest in Washington State and build this housing, but not if you have a rent control bill. They just won't do it. They'll go somewhere else and build, and that's going to be a disaster for renters here in the state of Washington. Senator Braun, let me ask about House Bill 1589. Now, it, it sounds so generic that you could put anything in it. Supporting Washington's clean energy economy and transitioning to a clean, affordable, and reliable energy future. I'm surprised they didn't put and a uh, chicken in every pot and a car in every garage. I mean, what what, what is this thing? Uh, this is a, a bad bill for consumers. For ratepayers, this is going to be a disaster. And uh, and, and it's really, it's, it's public abuse on energy. They're trying to respond to the the bad policy put in place with the Climate Commitment Act, but this just makes it worse, and it makes it worse for ratepayers. It does, and it's changing a lot, as you alluded to with the title. There's a lot of things that can be fit in there, so it's changing in some ways better, but not good enough, in my opinion. There was a very clear natural gas ban in there. Now they're relying on what they call removing the obligation to serve, which just means the natural, you know, the natural gas utility affected by this bill will no longer have an obligation to provide natural gas. Now, that may seem innocuous, but no, if you're the it's person... Not. It's <laughs> not. If you're the person heating your house with natural gas, or you're the industry providing hundreds or thousands of jobs that only work with natural gas, and they turn it off, uh, you're, really, you're really out of luck. Well, uh, but Senator even if you're not the one... You know, go ahead. No, I was going to say, New York right now has a plan that they, I just saw word of it today, Governor Kathy Hochul, Democrat, says that she wants to give the utilities the ability not just to deny natural gas, but to actually go and cut it off to, to buildings and homes that already have it. Are we going to end up with that in, or in Washington as well? That's exactly what this bill would take us towards. That's exactly the thing. And what I was to say is, even if you're not the one they cut off or they don't serve, if there's fewer fewer people being served, that means the fixed costs, you know, drive the price up for everybody else. So they say, you know, the initial estimates is this is a, you know, 30 to 40 percent increase for an industry in terms of the cost of natural gas if implemented, and then maybe as much as 150 percent increase for residential natural gas consumers. This is a disaster for people who are just barely making it in the state of Washington. If you have trouble affording uh, living in Washington now, this bill is going to make it much worse. Senator John Braun, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Glad to get your calls on a First Amendment Friday at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. In a moment, I've been trying to sound the alarm that what we're going to see in this year's elections is illegal aliens casting votes. I'll tell you more about that, and I'll get to your phone calls and emails in a moment. You're listening to First Amendment Friday and the Radio Northwest Network. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, 
precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. New plan of action. Just mug all the Dems. I got jumped like five weeks ago walking home in New York City. But when I woke up, I genuinely felt like a different person. Because I was on the floor, I was bleeding, I was concussed, and I was 100% Republican. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you. And brace yourself for it. Illegal alien is vote voting is going to come to America this year bigger than it ever has been before. And I'm going I'm to back that up. Because I've been warning you about this. One of the motivations for Joe Biden and his buddies to allow an invasion of more than 10 million illegals in the last three years is because they plan to use them to cheat in the 2024 election. And by cheat, I mean having people who are illegally in the country and they're going to vote in the election. And if your objection to that is, well, Lars, they can't vote in the election. They're not citizens. You're right. Legally, they can't. The problem is they will. Because we know, number one, that foreign nationals sometimes vote in American elections. And when they get caught, almost nothing happens. In some cases, one case that comes to mind for the last uh, month ago, a month ago, we found, about, found out about a woman who had been voting in American elections for 20 years. She admitted to the investigators, yes, I know I'm voting illegally. So she knowingly did what she did, kind of like Joe Biden knowingly took all those classified documents. And guess what? They didn't bring any charges against her at all. So recently, Elon Musk has posted on X, number one, illegal aliens are not prevented from voting in federal elections. And that's true. Number two. You don't need government-issued ID to vote. And number three, Democrats are importing voters. Now, you immediately saw entities like the New York Times come out and say, well, this is outrageous, and Musk is spreading election misinformation, to quote from the New York Times, except that he's true. Everything he said was true. So uh, uh, let's see, just the facts. Just the facts did this story. The Times argues that federal law requires voter identification from voters when they register. But then they go to the actual requirements in the 2002 federal voting law. And what they fail to mention is that there have been court cases, including one 11 years ago from the Supreme Court, that says, quote, it does not require documentary evidence of citizenship. Rather, it only requires that an applicant claim under penalty of perjury, that he's a citizen. And you say, well, people aren't going to commit perjury to vote. Yeah, they will, if they know that even if they do it, nothing much will happen to them. So be ready for it. We're going to see the Democrats attempt to use illegal aliens to win this year's election, and the elections authorities are not going to do anything to stop it. And I've been telling you about this, including the example out of Arizona, where Arizona's elections officials have actually said, if you want to register to vote, you have to prove that you're a citizen. But even if you don't prove you're a citizen, we will still register to, you to vote, but only under, uh, only for federal election races. 
Well, that would be president, senator, and member of Congress. So in other words, the illegal aliens will only be allowed to vote in the federal elections. Gee, that sounds so much better, doesn't it? Let's go to our first naysayer. Hey, uh, Bart, you're a naysayer. Uh, wh what do you and I disagree about today that makes you a naysayer for the show? Uh, hey, thanks for taking my car, you Paul, Lars. I appreciate that. Uh, first off, I appreciate the job you do. You're a great American patriot. And frankly, I think you should run for president, which brings me to my point. Uh, president Trump uh, was commander-in-chief, and I believe that he, he had a, a great dereliction of duty in allowing our most sacred place in our nation, our, our nation's cap capital to be overrun now i see two things that happened there either a he knew what was going on and he allowed it to happen or b let's see b i guess he just was i mean i i i guess that's that's it uh, okay then can so i ask you some questions because that's okay. what i do with naysayers i ask questions so was donald trump in charge of security at the capitol on january 6th uh, yes, Commander-in-Chief, I believe he was. No, no. The Commander-in-Chief commands uh, okay. the U.S. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Do you know what Posse Comitatus is? Uh, Posse Comitatus? Uh, refresh me. It's been numbers. You can't use the United States military to perform police duties within the United States. Yeah, they, they sometimes well, are called in. Well, hold on. So can okay. the president deploy American troops on American soil to do the job of law enforcement? Well, if I would say on the nation's capital. capital no, no, if, there's no exception in there for that. So do, do we have a capital police force that costs us a couple of billion dollars a year? Yes, sir. Who is in charge of the capital police force or was at the time on January 6th? Yeah. Uh, uh, Hold on. Who was it? Yes, Who was it? Uh, Nancy Pelosi. Is... Nancy oh, Pelosi no. yes, was in charge of she was the go to when, because the Capitol Police is technically overseen by a committee. But all the committee members are named by Nancy Pelosi and the answer to her. Now, was okay. she uh, one more question? Was she offered 10,000 National Guard troops before January 6th to maintain order? Was she? Uh, I'll assume the answer is yes, because yes. yes. And do you know who offered her the 10,000 National Guard troops to maintain order on the nation's capital? Our, the president. Yeah. Now, President uh, Trump offered her 10,000. Did she accept okay. it? The obvious answer is no, she didn't. Now, immediately after January 6th, she demanded military. In fact, they actually asked for squad automatic weapons, SAWs, to be deployed on the nation. Now, they didn't get that because because everybody knew that was an absolutely lunatic idea but nancy pelosi uh -huh. and was nancy pelosi's capitol police force warned days ahead of time by the fbi that there was some major event not a good one that was going to happen on january 6th i'll assume again the answer is yes. the answer is yes so the and the fbi even held a news conference i remember when they did it they did it about three days after january 6th they said we knew there was trouble coming. We had identified some of the actors. They'd actually arrested one of them who's been on this show before, Enrique Terrio, uh, who's the former head of the, uh, the Proud Boys. 
and uh, and he was arrested at Reagan Airport several days before January 6th. And the FBI announced in public on January 9th that we warned the Capitol Police trouble was coming. Now, Bart, can you think of any reason that Nancy Pelosi, knowing that her police force had been warned that there was trouble coming, would want to let the trouble happen anyway? Yeah, I can see. So it would concern people like me and, uh, you know. Well, the, the reason I ask you that that way, Bart, yeah. do you remember what happened in the last two weeks of the Trump administration that was a truly national event, the impeachment? Yeah. And the impeachment was based on the riot that happened on January 6th. So Nancy Pelosi wanted to impeach Donald Trump, but she didn't have an excuse on January 5th. On January 7th, she had a dandy excuse, and she said, why we're going to impeach Donald Trump. And other than what we've just talked about, police forces and military, what could Donald Trump have done when the trouble began at the Capitol where he had told the crowd, let's go up and peacefully and patriotically tell the Congress what we want. After he did that, once the trouble started, what could Donald Trump have done to stop it? Yeah, perhaps he could have made a call to Nancy Pelosi. Did that happen? Uh, I think he talked to Nancy Pelosi. I think Nancy Pelosi got exactly what she wanted, which is probably why her daughter, the documentary filmmaker, just happened to be in Nancy Pelosi's office on the day the trouble started. Bart, you're a great naysayer, and you made the a great Lars point. Larson Show. Go to the head of the line at the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. If you ask me my honest opinion, I think that our culture in America is in a terrible mess. And just a couple of hundred years ago, we had some great people who had great faith that they could forge a brand new nation. And it is a fantastic nation with something that is unique, the greatest amount of God-given liberty that any any people on planet Earth enjoy. And we have a constitution that, at least in theory, is supposed to protect those people from the interference of government. And yet I think we're in big trouble right now. I mean, just off the cuff, you understand, we have a culture that is beginning to embrace euthanasia, doctor-assisted suicide. We've got a culture that embraces abortion to a disturbing degree. And now we have a culture that apparently believes you can chemically castrate children and uh, and change their genders and i thought well with all that in mind uh, the occurrence of a brand new book called fight the good fight how an alliance of faith and reason can help us win the culture war breath of fresh air from jay richards who's director of the devos center for life religion and family and william si uh, simon senior research fellow at heritage uh, jay it's good to have you back on the program great to be with you why'd you write the book I wrote the book, honestly, because, as you sort of said at the end, I mean, I've been involved in culture and politics battles and debates for years. It's only in the last three years I've gotten deeply involved in this fight over gender ideology, and I really think something has changed. I mean, if you were involved in a pro-life battle or the battle for marriage, I joke that it's sort of like, you know, the folks around you look like the Heritage Foundation uh, internship class, right? We're all kind of similar, <laughs> sort of religious, social conservative. Yeah, they're Catholics and evangelicals, but, you know, on these big things, we actually agree. Um, all of a sudden, things have changed. So the culture, which 10 or 15 years ago, you know, secular culture claimed it was based on reason and science, all of a sudden is now denying basic 
mammalian biology applies to human beings. And so I think, we, you know, culturally we've jumped the shark. And so as a result, we now have a coalition of what we, I'm calling the, the Alliance of Faith and Reason of people that includes social conservatives, it includes religious people, it also includes a bunch of parents that uh, doesn't have particular political or religious persuasion but have gotten uh, red-pilled because these crazies are coming after their children. And then you've got people, atheist evolutionary biologists, even lesbian groups and feminist groups that say, no, boys and girls are actually different and they can't just, one can't become the other. But this is a completely different coalition of people and we need to learn how to talk to each other. So the book is really an attempt to kind of create, okay, what's, what's the game plan and the arguments that you make in this, this new situation with new would-be allies that aren't used to each other? See, and that's what I've been waiting for, because, Jay, I've been bemoaning for several years now. I can't, I don't, can't say a decade. But when I saw, you know, transgenderism start to rear its ugly head, I said, oh, what are you going to, are you going to sit down with your daughters and your granddaughters and tell them, sorry, honey, don't even bother going out for basketball or volleyball or track and field because you're going to be beat by a biological boy. He's going to set all the records. And now we're seeing it literally happening. And I keep wondering where are the parents, because you don't have to be a rock-ribbed Republican to say, I want no. my granddaughter to be able to run in a race and run against other girls, because we understand that, you know, as I keep reminding my audience, men beat the four-minute mile in the 1950s. And here in 21 or 2024, uh, the closest women have come is something like 408. I said, so when it comes to oh, yeah. a foot race, it, you're, you're, the design right. you got from God is not going to let you That's beat right. a biological male, right? Exactly. And, and see, this is one of these things. It's, of course, the truth of revelation. We know Genesis says God created us male and female. But you know what? It's also a truth of reason that absolutely everyone at every time and place knows. In fact, it's directly apparent, unlike, say, truths of reason about um, uh, embryology. I mean, we know from science that human life begins at fertilization, but most people don't have direct experience of that. Everyone has direct experience of what it means to be male, what it means to be female, uh, and that, the, that they're different. That's why we segregate sports. And so the fact that the public culture, the commanding heights of culture, the influential institutions all deny this manifest truth of reason, this puts us in a kind of different position. And I think conservatives and Christians have got to figure out, okay, how do we, how do we make our arguments to the people that we can win over in this totally crazy situation? So how do we make that happen? Can you give them a thumbnail sketch? And then I promise, I, I know from experience, a lot of my audience is going to go out and buy Fight the Good Fight, how an alliance of faith and reason can win the culture war. So this is this is the basic uh, clue, is that you do not start arguments that when you're trying to persuade people with assumptions that you hold. You start arguments based on the assumptions that they hold. So I believe that God created us male and female. I believe that God told us not to kill innocent people. But if I'm trying to persuade something someone about abortion or about the nature of marriage, I'm going to argue based on things that they already assume to be true. The nice thing about the gender uh, subject is that there's a bunch of people that don't agree with us on almost anything else that nevertheless accept that males and females are real. And so my argument is but partly sociological. It's partly just, look, once they trust you because you were on the front lines fighting for the rights of women to have their own bathrooms and, spe and their own spaces uh, and own sports, 
you're in a different position to be able to have a conversation with them about marriage and about God uh, and about abortion and all these other things that they also disagree with you on. But it's also a kind of lesson in how you make these arguments. So throughout the book, every chapter, whether it's about trade or immigration or abortion, we make both a revelation argument, like what's the theological understanding at this point, and a reason argument. That is a public reason argument, just just based upon the, the secular facts that should be available to anyone that has an open mind. You know, I'd like to ask you about something. You mentioned trade, and it's always struck me as crazy that the same mostly liberal people who push all of these things have now said, and we're going to tell the rest of the world, we're going to fly the rainbow flag in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. And, I mean, things like this, and I think, hold on. You know, you don't like it when other people tell you what to do, and now you're going to deliberately parachute in to cultures in which you know your ideas are not just anathema, they're probably apostasy. And if you get caught doing it, you might just get stoned, literally. Uh, and you say, and, and you think this is a good idea, and it's going to go over well with the rest of the world, where a lot of these ideas don't, don't work at all? At all. In fact, that's a, that is a major part of our foreign policy. I've had people from uh, foreign countries that have said, you know, the only time I have ever seen a pride flag or I've ever seen, you know, the, the, now the trans flag, the progress flag, the only time I've ever seen that is flying from the American embassy in my city. We are literally, this is like the main point of our foreign policy under Joe Biden. And as you said, it's completely crazy. I mean, we're talking about countries uh, in which, say, homosexuality is illegal and we're pushing this stuff. It makes absolutely no sense. So the same people as you said, that are relativists about everything else, um, want to be absolutists and force all this stuff on everybody else. Well, I mean, because they are the people who are constantly telling you, you can't steal somebody else's culture, you can't use it, you can't adopt it, which I think is a compliment if you adopt parts of somebody else's culture. Uh, On the other hand, you can't force your culture on them. Oh, but we're going to go tell, you know, some Middle Eastern country that's Muslim majority that they're going to go by our rules or else because it's so important to you to prove the point at home that you want to bring it over here, that's not going to that's not going to go over well. No, it's not. In fact, if you read the gender ideologues now, they actually argue that the idea of a male and female is a false binary that is imposed by Western colonialism <laughs> and imperialism. You can't make this up. I have a hard time even saying it, but that is actually what they say. Yeah, so, okay, so the, the Kalahari Bushmen, right, who never encountered the West, uh, somehow acquired this idea of males and females. I mean, this is just how completely gone to seed this these ideas are in our culture and i don't think it, it, honestly i mean you're 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 in uh, oregon and washington yeah. places like that where the stuff you know on the kind of leading edge most americans i can tell you until recently when i first started talking about this stuff to groups you know boomers just couldn't process it like they just think okay maybe that's happening in portland but that doesn't happen anywhere else and i had to say no actually it's happening in whitefish montana yep. um and, and so honestly for for three years it, uh, half of what i've done has just been to pers- try to persuade people this is real it's absolutely everywhere and we've got to fight it like civilization we got to fight it right now the book is called fight the good fight its author is jay richards from the heritage foundation back in just a moment you're listening to the lars larson show and the radio north West Network. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs, but how do you explain them to your customers? 
Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Exercising the right to free speech every day. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show on First Amendment Friday. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails. I haven't done enough of that, but let me give you a couple of reminders first. Our poll on X today, and I think this is a great idea, probably doesn't have a snowball's chance of becoming law in Oregon or Washington, but in Idaho, they may be about to pass a law. House Bill 515, it's passed the House, it goes to the Senate, then to the governor, it provides for the death penalty in aggravated cases of sexual crimes against children under the age of 12. It's a fantastic idea. It got approval from the House of Representatives. Let's hope it passes the Senate, and then we'll encourage the governor of Idaho to actually sign that new law. But when we have an ace air, we always put him first. So, Dwight, uh, welcome to the program. Thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. What do you and I disagree about that makes you a naysayer? Well, I disagree with how you treated the Portland school teachers when they were on strike. What what I say about them that you disagreed with? Well, uh, <laughs> I guess one of the things was their pay, and the and the other thing was the fact that kids were being. Well, what about their pay? I said they have a right to negotiate for pay. Well, what they've done is they've negotiated a contract that leaves the district a hundred and thirty million dollars short. And there are only two ways to solve that shortfall. One is cut educational resources to the kids. So in other words, fire a bunch of people so you can pay more money to the other people. That's one possibility. The other possibility is raise more taxes. That's probably not going to happen. So in other words, if the victory was a bunch of teachers get paid more, it leaves the district $130 million short, and you're going to have to cut the resources that go to the classroom for the kids. How's that good for the kids? Well, it, it's not good, but... It's bad, isn't it? It is bad, but how long has it been since you've sat in a classroom with uh, junior high kids? Well, the last time I sat, uh, I sat in a classroom with high school kids was a few years ago, but I'm not sure what, what the point is. Well, the point is, kids can use any type of language they want to these teachers. And, and all of that could, and Dwight, I've pointed this out to teachers before. I've said, you have a union that's one of the most powerful political forces in all of America. You can walk in and say, we want this and we want that, and in general, you get it. In fact, the Portland School Teachers Union got $130 million more in their contract than the district even has to spend. So that's how powerful they are. And I've told teachers before, you want to get discipline in classrooms? You go, you go to the school administration with your union, and you say, we demand 
that you crack down and and make and get some discipline in those classrooms and have real consequences when kids get out of line. If they ask for it, they will get it. But I don't think they honestly give a damn because did you hear well, the teachers push back and say we want more discipline? No. Did you hear the teachers push back when Oregon said you can get a high school diploma and not know how to read, write, or count? No. Do you see test scores going up in Oregon and Washington, or do you see them going down right now? Well, they're probably going down. They are. So, so why is this why is this unfair to say what's true? The teachers demanded a giant paycheck. They got it. They're going to it's going to result in cutting resources to the kids in the classrooms and this nonsense we always hear from it's all about the kids. We just care about the kids. They just got a gigantic raise for themselves at the expense of the kids. Is that accurate? I don't know what they got, to be honest. Hold on. They got $175 million more in their contract. They demanded it. The district promised money they don't even have. Hey, can you imagine running a business where the business says, look, we've got this much to spend on salaries. Well, let's go ahead and just promise the workers $130 million more than we actually have. And then when there isn't enough money to pay the bill, we'll lay off a bunch of teachers and assistants and coaches and everybody else to bring the number down by $130 million. Can you think you of any way that that's good for kids? Oh, no, that's not. But are you aware that teachers ha are required to answer all the emails they get every night after they get home from work. From Which is a dumb requirement that they could put in their contract tomorrow if they wanted to. They could say, look, I don't have to answer all the emails. Now, I have a feeling it's not every email. I have a feeling that if a parent says, I've got a concern about my child, and I don't know, how many, how many of those emails does the average teacher get every single day? I answer about 900 to 1,100 emails a day and do six hours of radio a day. So I don't have a lot of sympathy for that position, but Dwight, you're an interesting uh, naysayer. Let's go to Victor. Hey, Victor, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Uh, has anybody uh, made a suit against uh, the open borders in the Supreme Court to see if it's illegal? And if so, supposed to uh, take care of that. To well, it is illegal, but who would you sue, Victor? The, the Biden administration for not enforcing the law? Yeah, the, the question there would be in the suit, if uh, uh, Biden does not, who in, who's in line next to enforce that law? Well, Biden is the, uh, the buck is supposed to stop on the president's uh, on the president's desk. Let's go to Hank in Bellingham. Hank, we're close to the break. Say it quick. Yeah. Hey, Lars, you talk, you were talking earlier about the. Uh, Georgia election trial and Fannie yep. Willis, and, and I understand you're not a fan of Fannie Willis, but you may not be aware, you, you identified those charges as baseless charges. Yes. Um, in fact, four of the 19 defendants have already pled guilty. Because of the pressure brought upon them. Lots of people end up pleading guilty when they're told you're going to go to With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. 
For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com.